Welcome to Creating Kesher, conversations about connecting. In each episode, I get to have a conversation with one of my colleagues about ideas, concerns, issues, and solutions to helping us deepen and improve our connections in marriage. I'm your host, Lisa Tversky. I'm having a conversation today with Doe Finkelstein, who's a psychotherapist in private practice in Passaic, New Jersey and Brooklyn, New York. Welcome, Dove. Nice to be here. So glad to have you joining me. You were telling me that you think there's a particular core fundamental difference between happily married couples and couples in distress. And I thought that would be a good topic for us to talk about. So tell me, tell me what's on your mind. What I found in my practice is that couples who are, uh, and individuals who are satisfied in their relationships are those who really respect their spouse. And uh, they find them to be people who are, uh, have wonderful traits and uh, they just, their spouse's presence in their minds is something that brings them pleasure and brings them a sense of connection and warmth. Where those who are struggling in relationships have a negative perception of who their spouse is. It's not about what they do as much as is who their spouse is. Their spouse is uh, someone who doesn't want to help them, is tuned out to their needs, is uh, from a dysfunctional family and therefore not able to do what they want. It's, it's, it's not only not able to do what they want, it's they see them in this negative light and that filters into uh, everything that happens later on is seen through that lens. So it's, a, it's the view of their spouse that is a disrespectful view versus the happily married couple where the overall view, not that they're happy every minute of the day, but their overall view is a respectful, positive view of their spouse. Yes, exactly. That uh, with one of them, with the happily married spouses, they, they see the, their spouse as a wonderful person who doesn't always do exactly what they want. And the unhappily married spouses, they see their, uh, they see their spouse in, as having some type of psychological block, pathology, and in some other fundamental negative way. So where do things go off track? Now, I want to put aside the cases where somebody finds themselves in a marriage where they're actually being regularly mistreated or disrespected. I'm talking now about the couple who the real problem is perspective, how they view their spouse and therefore the things that upset them, like you're talking about, and how a different view could help. But most people go into their marriage with a positive view, either they've dated and their experience is positive or what they know of their spouse, future spouse is positive. They go into marriage. There's that la-la land initial part of marriage. But then there seems to be those, which we're talking about, where they go off from their my spouse is a great person, but there are things that bother me. And they land in the, my spouse is just off, bad, horrible. 
and they don't really belong there. And yet we see that they land there. What What's going on? How does this happen? Yes. Yeah, so I, I think the way I see it is that um, there's two types of relationships. We have relationships with people who, uh, who are, uh, they're, they're not deep relationships. They don't really um, enter into our relationship dynamic patterns. Mm-hmm. And then there's relationships where, well, not, even if it's not relation, uh, deep relationship, there could even be good friends, but the person doesn't rely on that person for their basic emotional nurturance. Uh-huh. And then relationships where in the therapy world, we call them attachment relationships where people really merge their uh, psyches with this other person to help them regulate themselves. Mm. People regulate their psyches through other people's psyches. And those type of relationships um, in the psychoanalytic world, it's relationships that foster regression, that bring people back to previous experiences. So when the relationship deepens, it actually um, then opens up a whole host of emotional wounds and emotional needs that people have to work through that they didn't have to work through when they were um, dating and uh, when they got to know each other in that context. Right. So in what's in the, what's in the um, way, let's say of connecting and maintaining that respect, even when my spouse does something that upsets me, is the difference between somebody that can hold on to, okay, my spouse upset me or my spouse disappointed me, but I respect him. I'm just unhappy about the action versus the person that can't keep that sort of in mind is their old wounds, their old experiences in life, would you say? Yeah. And I think, I think, I, you, you know, it's a complex topic and question. And, and uh, so I would say there's a few different types of uh, way that this could play out. One way is there's a, uh, a a developmental researcher in London named Peter Fonagy. And he discussed a lot, this concept of reflective functioning Um, and reflective functioning is ability for a person to be able to the the um, example they give is um, is for if a child eats spinach and mm. the child doesn't like spinach, so does the child is the child able to say I don't like spinach, but I could understand it's possible other people may like spinach, uh-huh. or the spinach is attacking me and spinach is evil. Uh huh. So that reflective functioning means this concept that I have a mind with a, uh, with a way of experiencing things, and the person I'm talking to has their own mind and their own way of experiencing things. It, the whole world is not just my inner reality. There's an outer reality besides me. Right. So, right. So at times, like what I'm hearing you saying, Lisa, is that uh, at times it's because the person, when they're feeling under attack, mm-hmm. they lose their ability to have reflective functioning. Right. And they therefore are not able to differentiate between someone else having their own uh, 
their own ways of seeing things and doing things if it is experienced as painful. Right. So that that could be that could be uh, that could definitely be a major part of it. And do you find? I think this also depends on the person, at least in my experience. But do you find that it can be harder and easier, depending on the person, to kind of help them with what you're calling that reflective functioning to help them stop seeing spinach as evil. Some people dig in and, but I think that more people than not have the ability. There are some people that spinach is just evil. You're not going to convince me otherwise, but more people than not, even if they've been very harmed by their experience of not liking spinach and their mother making them eat spinach anyway, and they're, they're still able to say, okay, yeah, I can separate it and I can try and work on this differently with you. Yeah. Yes. 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 So what, what I would say is, is that, um, is, that there's an interesting research that shows that even though a lot of times what people repeat with their spouses are traumas in their own past. Mm-hmm. So let's say if a, uh, if a child was uh, called, uh, his mother said, you have bad medus, you're going to struggle with marriage, their, his entire childhood, and then he gets married and he starts to act uh, super defensive when the wife has any complaint against him because he's so afraid that this is actually going to play out. He has bad midos. He's going to ruin his marriage. That's what he right. was told. And, um, and if we could get to uh, an understanding that you are acting defensive and it's pointed out directly in a non-judgmental, non-aggressive way, then many times people are able to uh, they're able to understand that their behavior that they're doing is causing damage, even though that it has a large trauma history behind it. And when we could intervene on a dynamic directly and show it to that person, it could have an impact even without doing all the dissembling of the trauma past. Right, right, right. So. And that's really important news, so to speak, for our for for the general public out there to understand that it's not always or you know that's often not necessary to kind of untangle everything in order to create healthier, more respectful interactions between spouses if they're willing to kind of suspend animation, so to speak, to kind of suspend what's been going on and say, I want to see this differently. And don't forget, you can email us your question or particular situation to be addressed on one of our episodes at podcast at keshereducation.com. That's podcast at K-E-S-H-E-R education.com. What I found I, with uh, working with individual men mm-hmm. um, it, with relationship problems is that they come in blaming their spouse um, for, for a host of different things that, and they feel their spouse is a bad person. Mm-hmm. She's limited. Her mother's limited. Her sisters are limited. 
Um, it's something that runs through the whole family. The grandmother went through the Holocaust. The great grandmother didn't go to the through the Holocaust, but if she would have, the family would be even crazier. Like uh, you know, just a whole host of um, right. You know, it's basically like you. I, the first three sessions, I could just close my eyes and like feel like I'm in a courtroom with someone building a case, another person, and really trying to persuade me, you know, as best as they can, that the person their their spouse is a horrible individual who really um, is super limited, and uh, any person in their situation would be uh, right. miserable, right? And uh, and then the therapy begins, and uh, you know, start to chip away at why would your spouse want to treat you nicer and be more interested in spending time with you if the entire affect and the entire um, your way of interacting with her is one of uh, frustration, irritation, and uh, and contempt, basically. Mm-hmm. Why would she want to spend time with you? Like, are you not creating this miserable, sick person also with your reactions? Right. How do people handle you saying that to them, Dove? Well, <laughs> you know, one of the one of the upsides of uh, one of the upsides of you know, basically specializing in treatment-resistant cases is mm-hmm. that they're desperate by the time they come to see me. Right. That's one. And, uh, and the second thing is I do it without the slightest bit of judgment or anger. Or- I think it's so key that if we as the therapist can stay in that space, that it helps somebody calm down and open up, you know, and it also models what is necessary in order to get to that place where I'm going to connect with my spouse. It's not going to be from the place of contempt and like you said, miserable making. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell them straight, I say, look, I understand why you're like this. I understand what you've been through. I understand how badly you have these emotional needs. I'm not trying to invalidate any of his pain or any of his needs. And I say, and I want you to get all your needs met or as much as another person can meet another, you know, I I want you to get your needs met. It's just the way you're going about your getting your needs met is, uh, is really destructive. Right. Right. So there's a lot of cycle. Cycle. Yeah. Right. And I, and I, I strongly believe uh, working with men and, um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, you, you, I'm interested to hear your perspective on working with women, but like it, when the, when the husband is, I've just seen it time and time again, when the husband is able to provide the wife with respect, then many beautiful things come around. And, um, you know, uh, you asked me to think of an idea to speak about. So I said this idea of respect and, a, a lotion of the Chazanish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, came came to my mind. And can I read it for you, Lisa? Yeah, please, please. Okay, so the Chazanish said, Teva Shalah, the Teva of a woman is lisanig alchena ve'enav, is to take pleasure in the, uh, when she finds favor in her husband's eyes. Ve'elav enan nesayis, and her eyes are, are hoping for that. Mm. That there's something 
there's something just the fact that a husband looks upon her his wife or the wife looks upon the husband with a positive way this in itself is a pleasure there's something inherently pleasurable about knowing that someone else looks at you in a positive light and there's something painful even if he doesn't say anything, or even if she doesn't say anything, knowing that another person looks at you in this ugly way causes pain and causes a person to restrict and causes a person to protect themselves. Right. And, and what, what steps or what, you know, perspective is it, is it particular things? Is it a, a, not a formula, but can you take us through some of the steps? Obviously, this isn't a psychotherapy session or or, or a, a treatment, a whole treatment. But could you take us through some of the things that you suggest or some of the tools, skills, I don't know, that that get them to sort of reverse course? What are, what are the things that they, you know, it sounds simple. Yes. But uh, it ain't simple. I know that. So what are some of the things you say to people about how they're going to stop what they're doing and how they're going to start connecting? Yes. I I think the, uh, one of the big things is just, you know, consistently pointing out to him that when you came home, what mood were you in? How did you greet your wife when you came home? What was your facial expression? When she got off the phone, how did you respond? When, uh, you know, when, uh, when Friday night, did you, when you came home from shul, did you give her a big good Shabbos? Did you say thank you and say how unbelievable the meal was? Did you notice that she's working with the kids all day and jump in? It's really a starting to become more attuned to the wife's efforts in the marriage. And I'm talking about, I work with men. So I, right, you know, like this is the angle I'm coming at. Right. And, you know, but it, it, I'm sure it cuts both ways. And that becoming more attuned to what this other person is doing and starting to appreciate, develop a, uh, a uh, environment of appreciation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was once at a yeshiva where, uh, I was in college and uh, in the, the summer we had a month off, you know, uh, mm-hmm. July, June, there's no school, but there is yeshiva. So I, I used to learn at a yeshiva some, some mornings and um, I used to see this, the Rashiva is a very complimentary person, uh-huh. a very positive person. And I would see that like if there was a, a, a Talmud, a student who wasn't learning so well, and then he came to the base medrash that day to learn, so two or three guys would go over to him and say, wow, you're really uh, learning so nicely. You know, it's so nice, you know, say, give him some type of encouragement. Right. And it just, he created a culture of, of positivity, a culture of encouragement, a culture where other people's successes aren't your failures. And, and you know, and that's where, that's what I'm working with, with these men is to start to, appreciate appreciate what your spouse has done for you a and mm-hmm. b is appreciate how much pain you've put her through in the past and and why 
I guess I have a couple questions. You know, first of all, I think that I'm assuming it's there has to be some preparation for the person, let's say the husband in this instant, that it's not going to, you know, change course of things, you know, or that they might actually not get their positive reinforcement for the compliment the first or second time from somebody who's felt hurt and disappointed for let's say years. Yeah. Um, that that's one hurdle. Um, and the other hurdle, which I'm curious to hear what you have to say is, you know, this isn't on the surface of it. It isn't complicated or do you think that it's that people didn't know they should be kind to their wife or that they never heard that or, you know, I'm imagining you're working on a deeper level to get them to accept that or to do that. They did not know that they should be nice. Yes, yes, yes. You know, it reminds me of the story with the same Rosh Shiva where one time a guy came into Shear and started pushing him. Uh, yeah. You know, this is a, a wild type yeshiva, started pushing him. So all the Bahram got up to protect him. Mm-hmm. And he said, don't touch him. He said, you don't know what I did to him before. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, you know, and right. and um, I kind of feel the same way that when, after, when I first suggest this, there's tremendous outrage and aggression that mm-hmm. the clients uh, have towards me and are very angry at me for saying this. Because and I have to because, then because because I'm saying that they are not a victim, that they are not they are not these innocent, sweet, wonderful people that just can't that their spouse is just punishing them and not meeting their needs. Uh, I'm saying that they are meeting out a nice portion of aggression onto their spouses and causing much harm and damage that they're not taking any responsibility for. Now Mm-hmm. that's not a message that's appreciated right no now i know right. now, now i get it yeah yeah and <laughs> and i and i am ready and willing to accept their aggression because i know what i just did to them mm-hmm. and then they fight back and push right. and w- when they fight back and push i then try to understand where is this coming from this pushback mm-hmm. and so it's basically like we negotiate i put my piece out there they then push back and get upset at me and unleash aggression towards me. Mm-hmm. I absorb the aggression and try to understand what their hurt is and why it's so difficult and validate them. And then I push back and, uh, and then say, you know, say her perspective, so to say, because she's not in the room. They then push back towards me. So there, it's a six month to a year, maybe a year and a half process mm-hmm. of, constant negotiation with me soothing their hurts, validating their needs, um, appreciating what they've been through in the past, and at the same time, not budging that what they're doing is aggression and it's, uh, and it's uh, causing harm in the present. So, so it's anything but simple. Right. It, it's anything right. but simple and it's anything but a short process. It's a sustained effort of uh, negotiation and uh, real, uh, you know, very intense, very intense experience. But 
I have seen that with sustained effort that things could fall into place. And once a couple gets to the, once the man in my situation gets to that point where he has respect for his wife, Mm. the pieces just fall right into place so beautifully that to get to that spot where, and there's a lot of defensiveness and a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, repress all the different defenses that there are, there, there's so much that needs to be worked through. Right. But, um, but it, when that does fall into place, like it really, they really um, get their needs met and they're happy. Mm. And do you ever come to a situation where it really is, the person in your office really is a victim and the person they're married to really will never have enough respect um, and, and, you know, really treat the person, you know, like a mensch um, regardless of what they give and, and, and what kind of, you know, climate of appreciation they try and create. Yes, absolutely. And those are, uh, those are, uh, those cases are much more about protection for mm-hmm. the person to protect himself and to get his emotional needs met outside the relationship and setting appropriate boundaries. So it's a very, it's a very different experience. Um, when working with those people, they generally don't have self-protection skills, right? Right. And even though I want to teach them how to protect themselves, they they want to make their spouses happy, which is the crazy thing that the people that are married to like very kind, good women are the ones that want to kill their spouse. And the people Uh that are married to borderline uh, psychopaths um, are the ones who want to make their spouses happy. Right. So it's a whole different type of treatment. And uh, I like... Yeah, it's a it's a much harder treatment. I I always say that you know Hashem gives us make sure to give us the opportunity to work on ourselves. So this type is married to that type, and that type yeah. is married to that type, and there's a lot of opportunity to work on ourselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I and I think what the what the issue is is sometimes it's hard you know, with our own resistances and because what we need to do is really hard work. It's hard for us as an outsider sometimes to know which we are, you know, like somebody listening to this saying, I want to have good and I want to have, you know, um, positive and healthy and, and fulfilling marriage. And, you know, what, what do I do to make it better and how I think I am the victim, and and how do I know that I'm I'm not the victim? That it'll work if I try and and make make him or her happy, or give more, or try more, or do more. How do I know that'll really work? Um, what comes to my mind is is that you know you have to look at what what have I been giving? If I've been genuinely giving and positive and caring and respectful and kind and maybe I'm the one that needs to set better boundaries. And if I'm the one that is just always angry and feeling like I'm not getting enough from my spouse, then maybe I'm, and I'm not 
making tons of efforts to be where to to be seeing things from his or her perspective or being kind in a way that they would want not what i think should be then maybe i'm the one that needs to work on coming forward better yes um, and that's maybe sort of the litmus test or the the you know two second quiz to to give oneself about which which one do I need to think about in order to have better connection in my marriage? Yeah. In terms of self-reflection on this, um, do you have any other thoughts on how someone could know which, which one is their work? Yeah. It's interesting. Like when I ask these people that are married to uh, women who I would say are kind and kind hearted, um, when I ask them, is she a bad person? They'll never say she's a bad person. Uh-huh. They'll never say she's a bad person. They'll just say she's emotionally shut down around me. They they won't say she's a bad person. Mm-hmm. When you talk to these other people, like they can't say she's a good person. That that's been my uh-huh. experience. They they still want to make her happy, and they have this intense. Um, this intense sense of failure in past relationships and being inadequate in past relationships that lead them into that pattern, but they can't say that she's a good person. Right. That, that, the one in that circumstance is usually, I find that also, they can't say she's a good person, but they don't necessarily say he or she's a bad person. It's more like, but are they better or they're just sick? You know, that, right, that's right. the, you know, this is how I'm going to still make it okay to try and make them happy. They don't mean it. It's not their fault. Da, 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 da. I can't really say they're good. Can't, don't want to say they're bad because I'm married to them. So maybe they're just sick and that. Yeah. Yeah. So these are some like little, obviously lay, not in the process, not trying to, um, um, diagnose anyone third hand, but I, I would say that these are sort of the little key cues or questions to reflect on if you're trying to figure out what your work is, more boundaries or more kindness and respect. Yeah. Well, this was really fun, Dove. I so appreciate your insight and uh, commentary and depth always. Um, and I really thank you for lending it here. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. And Dove will be coming back for a part two to talk about practical tools and skills. If this is something that you're struggling with looking forward and don't forget to have your question or idea for a show address, email me at creating at gmail.com. 